was really diligent and, you know, he sometimes was up for throwing balls to me uh, in the garden and we got this like little rubberized ball that some of you might have heard of had sons to like try, you know, that bounces towards you and practiced. But I, I can remember grade four and five. I mean, I think it was, it was invariably a duck every single game. I just didn't know how to bat. And, you know, my dad would come faithfully along, like, okay, I'll come watch you. You know, it's supposed to be like two till five or something, probably take time off work, uh, and then watch Craig um, guard for a duck, and then sort of stay on probably going, oh, it would be much better to be at the office. But, um, you know, it was, it was great support that, that um, dad gave me in spite of my terrible ability at cricket. And then it sort of got to, but somehow I kept getting into the A team. And it was really frustrating because the B team obviously has rubbish bowlers and I could have been the top of the B team, but then I wouldn't be in the A team. And so I was in the A team, but my basic role was um, bat number 10 or 11, don't bowl and field fine leg. And fine leg is the place that you field when you're really just not good at anything else. So you don't get any prime position because I also couldn't catch. So, but, but obviously I was better than the B team guys. So I was still, you know, top 11 in my age group. It's <sighs> still pretty good. So we, we, we kept going on and then grade seven and whatever else. And then form one, I sort of made it into the 14 A's uh, again and the 15 A's and 16 A's. And actually, those of you who know Zimbabwe cricket, uh, in under 16's, I opened the batting with Brendan Taylor. And the, the interesting thing was, is he made more than 100 runs every game and I never made more than 10. But that's for, that's for a different time. Uh, form one and two, at St. John's, what used to happen is, is you'd obviously play the whole day on Saturday, but lunchtime was what really excited me. So I wouldn't say it was worth the whole day on Saturday and all the practice, but it was almost worth it. Because obviously I never made any runs and I never bowled, so I basically stood in the sun, got burnt, and that was my Saturdays. But as it got close to lunchtime, I knew if I was playing a home game that there was going to be burgers at lunchtime. And I used to get starved at home. My mom used to give up. I'm joking, I'm joking. But, uh, but, but it wasn't just any burgers. They, the, the ladies who were in charge of doing the lunches at our home games, they laid out the spread of all spread of burgers. I mean, there was cheese that you could have as much as you wanted. You could have double, triple burgers. Uh, there was, you know, tomato, onion, lettuce. It was the ultimate burger. And so in a way, it was worth me playing cricket for Form 1, Form 2, Form 3, just for the burgers. Form three, actually playing 16 A's, we got a bit frustrated because we went down to play at first team field and then you got cold meats and you got chicken and you got all this healthy stuff. And we just wanted to go back up to the top fields to get the burgers. And even all the other schools, that's why they, they were so excited to play St. John's. They knew they were going to get beaten, but they were, obviously, <laughs> they were obviously just so excited because they're like, we're going to get burgers. Especially the boarding schools because obviously the choices there are not so good. But they knew when they were playing their day school they got burgers. Now, the burgers probably didn't look as good as that, but they were, they were pretty close. I'm not going to lie. When you had a triple burger and you laid the cheese, and I had the whole morning fielding to think about what I was going to put on my burger because I wasn't going to do anything else. So I had the whole morning to just think, okay, I'm going to put a triple stack and then I'll put tomato in between and then I'll put lettuce in between the other and I'll put cheese all around because that's all, I, you know, that's all that I was thinking about. Other guys were thinking about playing cricket. And it didn't look as good as that, but it probably looked almost as good. But I don't know about you, when you see a burger in all its glory like that, I mean, my mouth starts to water, don't be thinking about lunch too quickly now, um, and I hope you still think about the preach, but there's just something about one of those huge, massive burgers that just does something to me at least. 
And especially when it's just the burger and then it's got the cheese and the mushroom and it's got the bacon as well, the crispy bacon. And then it's got fried onions as well as onion rings. And it's one of those ones where you can't actually get it into your mouth. You know, that's the ultimate burger. And I don't know if anyone's experienced that. And if you have found a restaurant in Zim that does one like that, please tell me because I haven't yet. Um, I'll, I'll spend too much money if I do. The reason why I shared the story about me being terrible at cricket and looking forward to the burger and burgers being one of my most ultimate meals is that what's amazing is you look at that and you think of a burger in your mind and all the toppings are unbelievable, but if the burger isn't there, it's just not a burger. It would be an amazing roll, yes, because imagine a roll with crispy bacon and mushroom and cheese, amazing roll, but not a hamburger. What takes for it to be a hamburger is for that meat patty to be there, and then everything else adds to it being the unbelievable thing that it can be in a hamburger. And what we're going to look at this morning, some of you maybe who did junior school writing, you're always told, you know, there's a bit of a sandwich or a burger, and you have to do your introduction and your meaty part. I'm not going to do it like that. What I'm going to say is that I'm going to start at the meat, the burger, and everything else that's going to be glorious around it, the, the, the cheese and the bacon, is all going to add towards that burger. And that is what's going to happen in this passage that we look at today. We're actually going to start in the middle. We're going to work outwards. Because if you don't get the meat of it, if you don't get the meat, if you don't get the burger, the other stuff is in vain. But if you get the burger, and if you get the burger in life as Christ followers, the rest all works to point towards and to glorify and magnify the burger as a whole. So I'm not going to read it all together. We're going to, I'm going to come back to this, but I just want to key in on one part, which is incredible. So uh, I'm just going to quickly get to it. Okay, perfect. This is it. So we're going to start, if you've got your Bibles, otherwise I'm going to put it up here. Uh, 1 John, if you're there, 1 John 5 is we're going to read in a bit, but I want you to jump down to 1 John 2 verses 1 and 2. I want you to jump to 1 John 2 verses 1 and 2. And this is what it says, starting there, my little children, that's verse one. This is John writing, one John, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. You're gonna see what they are before. They're gonna be the, the bacon and everything else, but I'm writing all this to you um, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate, someone who argues on our behalf, someone who defends us on behalf of the righteous king, the, uh, the ultimate ruling judge, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the only absolutely pure, perfect one. But we have one who's fighting for us, one who stands in the gap for us. And then look at this next bit. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now that's the closest to the original Greek that you can get, but another word to more easily understand it would be the atonement or the atoning sacrifice the one who makes everything right in our lives, the one who has the ability to make us righteous before the Father. So he is the atoning sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for your sin and mine, but for the entire world, for the entire world. That's the meat. That's the burger. That's the reason why we're here today. It's because of him. It's because of Jesus. It's because of what he did for you and I on the cross. It's why we're here. It's why we meet. It's why we're called Christ followers. We follow Christ, 
the one who was the atoning sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And I love how that's, that's 2 verse 2. Uh, and I also love how 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2 is also one of my favorite verses. Uh, you just write this down if you're writing notes. It's where Paul says, one of the writers of the New Testament wrote most of it, one of the early church fathers, one of the great church planters. It's why he says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, I just like it for memory. He says, for I resolved to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. This was Paul who was one of the great theologians. He wrote many books. He wrote and strengthened many churches. But he was saying, my heartbeat, the reason why I'm here, what I want to know each and every day is Jesus and him crucified, my ultimate sacrifice. The one who I was blind, but he made me see. The one who was lost, but now I'm found. That's the meat. That's the meat of my life. And I just want to say as Christ followers, particularly those of us who've been Christ followers for a long time, the cross and Jesus Christ, what he did for us, can almost be something that just becomes, mm, I've heard it all before. But actually, the more we get to know Jesus, the more we should gaze upon the cross. The, that, that's your gauge. Your gauge of how you're walking with Christ and how close you, is, uh, close you are to him is that you can gaze on the cross of Christ daily and it never gets boring. And it never gets old. And it never gets tiring. Because the more that we embrace what Jesus did for us on the cross, the more it affects all our life. And that was Paul. Paul wrote about everything else. He shared about everything else. He encouraged about everything else. But he always went back to the fact that, but without the cross, it's not a hamburger. Without the cross, it's a role. Yes, it's interesting things. But it's not all-encompassing what our lives should be. So as we go through the rest of this preach, I want you to keep in the forefront of your mind that that's the meat. That's the meat. That's the ultimate. The ultimate part of the burger is that Jesus became an atoning sacrifice for us. He paid the price for our sin, not just ours, everyone's, so we could be right with the Father. Don't ever lose the wonder of that. Harvest, don't ever lose the wonder. Let that captivate you day in and day out. I can guarantee it will change you from the inside out. And then we work through everything else. And then we look at everything else. So with, with that in mind, with that as the meat, let's jump back to the start and let's dive in a bit further and let's take apart this little bit of this passage, which is the bacon, it's the cheese, it's all great, but it points towards and magnifies the cross. Look at John writing in 1 John 1 verse 5. He says, this is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness. If you struggle with dealing with things in your life, with getting over things in your life, or maybe with looking and going, I don't even know if I really need the cross. I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure I do, but, but do I really need it? The way that you realize your need of the cross is when you see God as light with zero sin. When you realize that a little lie, a little bit of gossip, a harsh word, when you realize that just that one thing separates you from the glorious God who is light, that's when you realize your need of the cross. It's when you realize the gap between light and darkness, that with God there are no gray areas. There's nothing gray. It's light or it's darkness. And if we're not in the light, we're in the darkness. There's no in between. And unfortunately in this nation, but in the world, but in the world at large, the waters kind of get murkied between light and darkness. It's kind of things that we know aren't quite right, but uh, you know, I said a few things about someone last week that I probably shouldn't have, but yeah, it's not really such a big deal. Or you know, there is tax, but 
you know, I just, I, I hid that a little bit, but it's not really such a big deal. It's just gray areas, but God doesn't really care that much. He is a light. In him, there is no darkness. And it's irrelevant whether it's a little bit of gossip, whether it's a lie here and there. He can't be in the presence of it. Hence, our need for Jesus Christ. Look at what John says. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, relationship, if we say we are Christ followers with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. It's so interesting that the sin in our lives prevents us, it's a barrier to a close relationship with Jesus. Maybe some of you here today are going, I just feel distant from God. I feel like I wanna be close, but I'm not close. I feel, I feel like I pray, but it doesn't sound like he hears me. I feel like I wanna be in his presence, but it doesn't feel like his presence is there. Maybe it's time to analyze your life and look if there's some darkness there that's preventing you having closeness with him because it will affect it. Sin in our lives, no doubt, affects our closeness to Jesus Christ. He's not further away. He's there and he wants to be close to us, but that barrier is there. And as you start to deal with the darkness in your life, you'll notice a relationship with Jesus becomes closer and closer. But look at this answer again in verse seven. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Why does John back this up? Well, because he's saying some harsh words, right? He's saying, if you are in the light, you're with Jesus. If you're in the darkness, you're not. And if he didn't say verse eight about being without sin, we could be a little bit scared to go, okay, so if I know Jesus, but suddenly I'm gossiping, does that mean I suddenly don't know him and don't have a relationship with him at all? That's not the case because our relationship with Jesus is not based on what we do. It's based on what he's done. It's, not a, it's about belief rather than behavior. But there still needs to be behavior change. And true belief in Jesus Christ leads to behavior change. It leads to it. But it's so important that Paul backs that up because I don't want you to be sitting here going, oh my goodness, I, I made a mistake this week. Am I, am I saved? Does Jesus know me? Am I still in a relationship with him? If I died in a car accident and I forgot to ask him for forgiveness, will, will I be in heaven? If you're a Christ follower, yes. His sin on the cross paid all our sin, past, present, and future. But... Walking in the light and wanting to walk in the light is an indicator that we are Christ followers. If you don't want to walk in the light, if you're sitting here today and say, but actually I just wanna get drunk every week and I couldn't care less, or I just want to sleep with my girlfriend and I couldn't care less, then you need to ask the question to go, do I know Jesus Christ? If you're struggling with sin and you, you, you may be struggling with alcoholism or you're struggling with pornography like we shared before, but you're going, Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't wanna be in this place. I wanna be in the light. That shows that your heart's been changed because you're saying, Lord, I need your help. I'm in this mess, but I don't wanna be in this mess anymore. And that's the indicator that God has transformed your life. Look at this amazing one. And we're gonna have a chance to do this when we have communion in a bit. Verse nine, if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness it's incredible we're never going to be perfect we're never going to be 100 percent right with jesus christ 
that we can be right with the Father in terms of Him seeing past our sin, seeing to who we are in Christ and accepting us as pure and perfect people. And confession is such an important part of our lives. All is forgiven at the cross, but confession shows that we understand the cross. If you're someone who doesn't say sorry a lot, you need to just check if you understand the cross. If you both don't say sorry to other people and also to Jesus, you need to just check whether you understand what he did for you on the cross. Because once we understand his forgiveness over our lives, we start to see firstly an amazing appreciation for what he's done. And when we do mess up, we're just like, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know this hurts you. I know this breaks your heart. I'm sorry. Please help me to walk in the light. And at the same time, you realize that he's forgiven you of so much. You just want to forgive other people. So just while I'm talking, have a bit of an analysis of your life and go, am I someone who confesses my sin to Jesus? And am I someone who confesses and says sorry to others? Because if you aren't, you need to look and just say, does the cross mean what it should in my life? Have I understood Christ's forgiveness of my sin? Verse two, we've shared on it. That flows into it. I just shared at the beginning on God being our advocate, on him paying for our sins and how we, we need to gaze on that. And look at what it does when we gaze on that in verse three. And I'll just start pushing through properly as I go. Okay, so we've spoken about that. He's the appreciation for our sins and not ours, but for the whole world. Look at this part here. And by this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. We're talking about confidence in this series. And if you want to have confidence in faith, if you want to know if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, the easy way is to see if you want to keep God's commandments. Because someone who doesn't know Jesus has no desire to do that. Someone who doesn't know Jesus has no desire to follow Jesus' commandments. But when you're a Christ follower, your heart's desire is Jesus. What are you telling me in this Bible? This is you. You've saved me. You've transformed me. I, I just want to get to grips with this. And okay, well, I, I thought that it was okay to, uh, to cheat. I thought it was okay, but wow, okay, I shouldn't do this. And, um, and, 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 and oh, pornography, we've been talking about it today. Okay, I just see that actually you want me to walk pure. Okay, let me deal with that. What happens when we come to Christ is suddenly the Bible becomes our guidebook. It becomes our rule book, our way of living. And as we follow Jesus, we, we, we just want to please him. We want to keep his commands. And that gives you assurance of faith. I know as a teenager, and the teenagers have left, but as a teenager, they went through a few years where I just kept asking God into my heart, probably every week or every night. Lord Jesus, please, I just don't quite know if, if, if you've saved me. You know, so please come into my life again. When I suddenly realized that I just wanted to follow him and read passages like this, I just went, wow, Lord, this is proof I do know you. It's proof you've changed me from the inside out because I want to keep your commands. What I shared last week about it's impossible for an apple tree to produce oranges. Well, I stand corrected. Maybe there's genetics that can do it. <laughs> but, but a real apple tree, it's impossible for an apple tree to produce oranges. Just like when we're Christ followers, when God's changed us, when we're a new creation, we just want to please him. It's the overflow. And that is the indicator we know him. That gives us confidence in our faith. So if any of you here today are questioning and going, I just don't know if I know Jesus or not. I just don't know if I've given my life to him. 
The indicator is, is, do you want to keep his commands? Do you want to walk in the light? And if you do, he's changed your heart. Your new creation. If you don't, it's maybe an indication today that you need to become a new creation. It might just be that indicator. Do we always want to keep his commands or do we always... No, not at all. I can guarantee you when I'm driving along, rush hour traffic, this happens on the way to work every day <laughs> without fail. It's so frustrating. I'm waiting there on, I think it's College Road. There's a college that runs up to Churchill. I think it is. Waiting there, there's traffic, about 20 cars, and there's obviously just one lane, but you have commuters and others who are driving on the left, and then you have the others racing down in front of oncoming traffic. And as they're about to have a crash, they pull off onto the other side of the road, you know, bounce past the fruit and veg sellers, bounce in again, block the traffic. I mean, it is, it is one of those things where I'm just like, Lord, if I had a bazooka now, it would just be a beautiful thing to just see that thing explode. I mean, if those people died, it would just be glorious. I'm just like, Lord Jesus, I'm just being honest with you guys. I suddenly have that thought. We have those thoughts like that. We have, we have a darkness thought. And I'm just like, I just wish those guys died. Or if I had a Coke bottle now, this person flying up in a brand new ML or a range, if I just casually threw out the Coke bottle and it just shattered the windscreen, I'd just be like, yes, score. <laughs> I, I'm being honest about the thoughts I have. You know, all those people who pretend that they're going to turn right and then last minute as the traffic light goes green, they just cut in and go straight. And those people, I'm just like, Lord Jesus, if they weren't with us, life would be a better place. And then I have the thought that comes from God going, but actually I died for those people. And actually they need me just like you need me. We have this battle between our flesh where we just get on the side of, we want to see, and yes, there's the part where it's wrong. It's definitely wrong. Agreed, it's wrong. But we get on the side of going, I just would love to see that person dead. I would love to, you know, I'd love to see them hurt. I just wish they had an accident. You know, we have that thought. And then our spirit kicks in. And our spirit kicks in and Jesus goes, but actually, the reason why they're acting like that, the reason why they're living like that is because they don't know me. And but for the cross of Christ, you'd be in the same place. And so we, when I talk about wanting to keep God's commandments, there's definitely moments in our lives where we slip into the flesh. And in that moment... We, we want to see destruction. We want to see darkness. But what you should feel as a Christ follower, you should feel the Spirit pulling you and saying, yes, that's what your flesh wants to do. But actually, let me show you this picture. Let me show you this picture. Verse 7. We jump into it. Let me go a little bit more, but does not keep His commands. But whoever keeps His word, whoever wants to follow Jesus... In him truly, the love of God is perfected. Each of us should want to see Christ perfected in us. I long to see in years to come and as we grow older, I long to see people talking of us and talking of you and saying, I can just see Christ's love overflowing out of that person. I can just see it overflowing. They just exude the love of Christ. It happens as daily, bit by bit, we walk in the light. We let him change our hearts. We start to follow his ways more and more. By this we may know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Such a challenge. 
And we were just praying about it this morning, saying it's so easy for us to be deceived, to just block out sin in our lives and just to go, I'm just gonna ignore that part. And as we do communion in a bit, I want you to open yourselves up to Jesus and maybe to others if you want them to pray with you, to open yourselves up to darkness that's in your life and to see it removed and see you walk in the light. Because each of us will have things we're dealing with. Maybe something as bad as a tongue that just speaks stuff that isn't true. Might be a tongue that degrades people, that talks down. It might be a tongue that talks negative all the time. Might be thoughts in our lives that, that go off on the wrong way. Each of us has bits of darkness that we want Jesus to deal with today. Verse seven, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. So obviously these were Christ followers. They'd been following Jesus. They, they had heard of the Old Testament. Jesus has come and he's saying, this is nothing new, but actually I wanna challenge you a bit more, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's incredible, that's what God does in our lives, what he does in societies, what we're praying for at Harvest, that the darkness will start to disseminate as more and more light is brought forward. And then look at this challenge as we close and go into communion. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. I want to key in this because I think it's so important in our nation, but in all nations. Whoever is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Do you know what's interesting is that term brother, it actually has a lot of Greek, Greek words and roots, adelphos. And if you look through where that's used and where that's used in the Hebrew, it covers an awful lot. So it covers earthly brother. It covers brothers and sisters in Christ. It covers work colleagues. It covers humanity in general. So there's no way <laughs> when we read this to get away from what John was writing out and what Jesus was getting to. There's no way to get away and go, whoever loves his brother, okay, oh yes, that's my earthly brother. I really do love my earthly brother, walks, abides in the light. Oh, I don't need to look any further. Or to go, whoever loves his brother, oh, that's talking about my church brothers and sisters. Well, there's some people who annoy me at church, but on the whole, I really like them, so I'm definitely in the light. It's probably better if we look at it and go, whoever loves his brother, it's probably better if we use the Adolphus original translation of greater. The world, society, whoever loves everyone in his workplace, whoever loves society, whoever loves politicians, whoever loves police roadblocks, policemen roadblocks, whoever loves commuter drivers, for me, abides in the light. And in him, there's no cause for stumbling. So I wanna challenge us today to ask us where are we at with loving brothers if we look at it at society level? Where are you and I at? Because that's a demonstration of how we're walking in the light. Doesn't mean that we get on well, no. <laughs> Doesn't mean that we're excited to see them, no. Love talks about wanting the best for someone else. It talks about Jesus loving us. Does he love our sin and love what we do? No, he doesn't, but he wants our best. That's why he went to the cross. So when we look at the messed up in society, when we look at those we struggle with, those who've wronged us, those who've hurt us, do we look on them and yes, there's the hurt, we don't hide behind that, but we say, Lord, I love that person because you loved them and I want their best. 
I want to see them saved eternally. I want to see them changed. I want to see their lives transformed. That's the challenge. That's where God needs to work in your heart and mine. Because look at this. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. This is huge. This is huge. Because we can so easily talk rather than walking the talk. It's easy. It's easy to give Jesus lip service. So easy. I just love Jesus and I'm reading this, I'm reading this in the Bible, but do our lifestyles, what we say, how we act, how we speak, does it reflect Christ? Because stumbling is a huge thing. And what I don't want to happen in my life and in yours is that there's many people in society that we come into contact with, policemen, politicians, bank tellers, the list could go on, you name it, commuter drivers. The last thing I want is for them to look and go, I don't see any difference in how Craig acts to anyone else in the world. Because they went, then they will stumble and they won't see Christ for who he is. That's what, that's what stumbling means. It means those exploring faith, looking at Christ's followers, going, mm, I don't see any difference. Obviously that Jesus isn't real. But when we live out what Jesus has called us to, when we live out the tough stuff, when we let him work in our hearts, when we let him show us what real love is about, when we let him show us the darkness in our lives, we start to look more and more like him. Then, the worst in society look in and go, I can't believe I was treated with love when I didn't deserve it. I can't believe that I was shown that amazing generosity when I don't deserve it. Who is it that you follow? Why is it that you're different? Well, it's because of Jesus in my life. I wanna know about that Jesus we want to see growth in our lives and transformation in our lives and in the city it'll come from us abiding in the father and walking in the light truly walking in the light when we do i can guarantee we'll be asked questions like no one else because we're in a society that is in desperate need of hope and love and if we're hope bringers and if we're love bringers we're going to see transformation in our lives and beyond verse 11 before i close and we have communion but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness. And whoever does not, um, does not, oh, and this is so interesting. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. One of the tough things with where we are not walking in love is that we start to lose our way in life. Some of you might be sitting going, I don't feel like I've got a purpose. What is my purpose here? What am I doing? Uh, my, my days just seem to be a muddle. I don't really know what they're about. Where's life going? Where am I taking my family? Uh, I don't have any hope. I don't have any life. So interesting that one of the side effects of not walking in love is that you start to get blind. You start to lose your way. You start to lose your purpose. And if you're sitting here today and you're going, I, I feel like I'm just stumbling around. I don't know where my life is going. My challenge to you is to look in and go, am I walking in love and light? Because when you do, you'll find a purpose flood into your life. You'll suddenly know where you're going on a day-to-day -day basis because you will no longer be in the darkness. You'll be in the light. You'll be able to see things for what they are. God will start to give you a vision. He'll start to give you direction. He'll start to give you purpose as you deal with the lack of love in your life it's incredible as I prepared it jumped out to me in a huge way so as I close John's John's prayer for each of us why he's writing 
and maybe the, um, the guys doing communion can come up and we'll get ready for it. Look at what it says. He says, I'm writing to you little children. And obviously children is a, is a group term. Maybe Rich can come up with a band. We might sing a little bit afterwards. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. That, that two verse two, that's the key. That's the hamburger, that's the meat. That's what it's all about, the fact that Jesus laid down his life for you and me because you're forgiven. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. I wanna say that of all the men and all the ladies in our church, I wanna say that we know Jesus. We know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. I wanna see us overcoming things in our lives, overcoming pornography, overcoming alcoholism, overcoming darkness that's in our life. It happens when we gaze upon Jesus. I write to you children because you know the Father. I want us to know him. It'll happen when we gaze upon the cross. I write to you fathers, John going again, because you know him who's from the beginning. I write to you young men because you're strong. I want us to be strong in our faith. It happens. We gaze upon Christ and walk in the light. The word of God abides in you. You've overcome the evil one. Lord Jesus, as we prepare to take communion, as we prepare to gaze upon you, which this preach has, all, has been about, I just ask that you would speak to us right now. I ask that you would challenge us. Lord Jesus, help us to not grow out of the cross, but to grow in towards it. Lord Jesus, I pray as people of harvest, we would never get tired of the cross, that we would never get tired of what you've done for us. We would never get tired of the way you stepped down into our world and paid a price we could never pay, that we could be right with you, Jesus, now and for all eternity, that it'll be something that affects us and changes us each and every day, that helps us to walk in the light and not in the darkness. Lord Jesus, I ask that we would be people who don't settle with the mundane, who settle with the ordinary, who settle with where we are, but we would continually be saying, Lord, please show me the darkness in my life. Please show me where I'm not walking in your way. Please show me where my language isn't right. Please show me where my thought life isn't right. Please show me with where I deal with people isn't right, with husbands, with wives, with children. Lord Jesus, show me where I'm not loving those in society, the worst of these. Father, I pray that as a church, we would look more and more like the light each and every day. That more and more people would ask us questions saying, why do you have such hope for this place? Why do you have such love for those who don't deserve it? Why do you have such joy in spite of your circumstances? And we'd be able to say, it's because of what Jesus has done in my life. Just let the Lord, just let the Holy Spirit quickly challenge you. Let him show you areas in your life that you haven't dealt with. He'll be showing you right now. Let him show you areas of darkness. Feel that sense of love and conviction as he pulls you towards himself. Feel that sense of him saying, I know you're struggling there. Let me help you, I've got something better. I know you're dealing with something there, a hurt from the past. You need to forgive just as I've forgiven you and they'll experience freedom in your life. That people group that you hate, I need you to see them as I see them. With love, I need you to know I died for them on the cross. And as you love them, you'll start to see purpose come to your life. You'll start to see light come to your life. Let the Holy Spirit convict you right now.